The year was 1981 when hundreds of teenagers from around the state of Iowa had come to Des Moines for an encounter with God. I had uh, the opportunity to be a part of that, and for 36 hours, we were, we were engaged in entertainment. We had a bunch of quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies, and we would take those quarters and we would lay them at the bottom of the escalator. And we would watch as people would come down the escalator and see how long it took for someone to take the quarter. And it was like, yes! And then eventually by the time we were done, we were down to pennies because we didn't have any money left over. But it was doing things like that. And then it was the late night snacks of going to a convenience store and getting the junkyard dogs. If you ever know what those were, they were the wrapped up hot dog. They had the chili and the onions and they're all wrapped up. You throw it in the microwave. Yeah, it was, it was quite the treat at midnight. Um, but you were young and you could still handle that kind of stuff. And then there was those moments that you just had that you were able to spend time with your friends in the youth group and you were able to do some things. But the ironic part of that story was, was for many of those that were attending, they weren't aware of the decision that they were going to make for God. They weren't aware of the, of the opportunity that they were going to have to build a connection and a growth within their youth group. And they, weren't, they were not aware of the decisions that were going to impact them in their future. And I was sitting in that ballroom at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Des Moines. And God began to show me the potential that I had that was so much more than just being a good kid. God was stirring within me a hunger to know Him more. A passion to, to be discipled. And a desire to learn to grow in, our, in my faith. And I think that's where we are this morning. We are in the midst of an opportunity for God to do something incredible in our lives. And no matter where you are today, I want to welcome you here to a, to a church that loves God. A church that loves you. A church that believes that you can come before you believe. A church that wants to walk with you in your journey of life to encourage you, to challenge you, to, to be there alongside of you, to lift you up, and to ultimately see you grow in your faith. And over the last few weeks, we have been in a series called Flawed that I believe has positioned us for what God has for us today. So I've entitled the message, Decisions. What's the toughest decision that you've had to make this week? You know, we've all, we all have decisions. We all have things where we have to, to uh, uh, estimate what's the cost, what's the reward. And, you know, for the graduates that are in the room today, your, your toughest decision this week was what time are you going to get up? <laughs> you know, it's like, I can sleep in as long as I want. Amen. Yeah, that's a good job. All right. uh, for, for, me, for me, it was a stress test. The decisions for me was a stress test because... How do I react to a situation so that my testimony is still intact? How do I respond to the arrows that were thrown at me that my testimony would still be one where someone could come to me and say, how do I get to know Jesus? That was a stress test for me because those were darts that were thrown at me. And the decision was huge. Sometimes we are confronted with so much that we lose sight of that. We lose sight of the, of the testimony that we have. Or we justify why we acted or said something to feel justified in our actions, and yet God wasn't justified in it. You see, our faith develops and our relationship grows and deepens 
as those decisions are being made. And yet we still have to understand that sometimes those decisions that we make will test us. Sometimes those decisions will defeat us at times, but they can also, at the same time, provide an anchor that will move us deeper in our walk with Him. Romans 14.1 says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. And I want us to just kind of look at the word uh, weak in faith because opposite of weak in faith is to have a strong faith. And I think that there are strong Christians and there are weak Christians and every church is full of them. And there are people that say that there's hypocrisy in the church, which is true. Because there are people. There are people in the church which therefore causes that opportunity to be there. But another reason that there could be hypocrisy is that there are weaker Christians in the mix that are just starting to get to know their foundation. There are individuals that are in their faith that are starting to try to understand that the things that they have in the world, the, the drinking and the smoking and the cussing and the, the living like a crazy person and all the things that we do in the world. And when we accept Jesus, God begins to work within us to show us what our next steps are, to show us where we should grow, to show us where we should develop. And so we are weak in our Christian faith. And so when someone sees us, they may, act, they may say, well, you're a, hypoc- you know, you're a hypocrite. Well, it may not be that you're a hypocrite, but you're just learning what God is trying to show you. The other side of that process is that there are not new Christians, but there are immature Christians. Christians that, that are um, trying to bridge the gap to, from, the, from the new Christian to the more mature Christian. And there's a process. And so they're just immature. They're, they're still, <laughs> they understand more, they see more, but they're just not able to grab to gravitate to what god's wanting them to be and so when we look at that it's like a two-year-old you have two-year-olds that are the king of the house they they run the show they tell you what they're doing they're doing everything and you just kind of hold on for life and hopefully you can make it to three right grant and caitlin just get ready okay but then there's other two-year-olds man they're just chill they're like hey there's no problem Mom and dad, you want, to, you want me to take a nap? Sure, I'll take a nap, no problem, right? Well, that's just like in our walk. Both are two-year-olds. They're just at different levels of maturity. And what I want to encourage you today is that we can have an opportunity to grow, to mature, and to be dis- discipled, but we can't settle for weak faith. We can't lose sight of what God wants to use us in. I don't want to have just a basic faith. I want to have a faith that says, Lord, you are my king. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my provider. It means that my faith has to increase, but my reliance on the world has to decrease. And so that decision that we make is to put ourselves in that position of strength that will guide us as we endure those life cycles of craziness. And how many of you know that there's life cycles of craziness out there? Amen? I mean, whether you're, whether you're up all night working or, or whatever the case may be, there are, there are life cycles of craziness, and God wants you to be able to have a, strength, a, a strong faith in order to, to be encouraged as you go through that journey. There are decisions that we make as Christians that will build the foundation of our faith and challenge us to seek those open doors as God is calling us to. And so the first decision that we're going to look at is you've decided to do it, but will you do it? 
And so I got a quick question for you. There are five frogs on a log. Four of them decide to jump in the water. How many frogs are left on the log? Seniors? Five frogs on the log. Four of them decide to jump in the water. How many are left on the log? Someone said five? Anybody? One? Five? Exactly, there are five. Because they decided to jump didn't mean that they jumped. They were still waiting. They haven't exploded their legs up to go. And so we look at that. And we think about the effort in deciding is different than doing. Have you ever told yourself or confided in a friend that you need to make a change to pray more or give more or learn patience or get a new job or whatever that you can think of? There are decisions that we make. And yet a year later goes by and we look at that decision that we decided that we were going to do, but it's still not happening. And maybe you've been there. And maybe you've been in that situation and you made the decision and it was a no-brainer and yet you didn't do it. In fact, those decisions are supposed to lead to taking action. Those decisions are deciding to begin to lead us to doing. But they're, they are not one and the same. They're different. And Matthew 3.8 says, Prove by the way that you live that, you re, that you're repented of your sins and turn to God. John tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees that what you really need to do is change your behavior. I like the word prove because it puts action into what what we're trying to do. It's easy to decide to do something because it doesn't take much effort. It's easy to say, yeah, I've decided to jump off the log. But until I jump off the log, I don't know if I can swim or not. So it's easy to say I'll jump, right? Sometimes we have to come to the place of implementing it so that we can begin to take those forward steps. Some of those are going to be big and some of those are going to be small, but we have to begin to understand that we need to move forward. How do we get discipled if we don't surround ourselves with other believers? How do we disciple those new Christians if all they see is the world and us? Yesterday, we had our all-conference soccer meeting. And one of the things that, that when you come together is you get to know each other you know, re- reconnect and all those types of things. And in the process of, of doing that, the first 15 minutes, one of the coaches addressed some of the things that he was dealing with in the season. And he said, my wife has ovarian cancer uh, and she's in Iowa City going through treatment and this and that. And it's just been kind of a tough year uh, for, for their family. And all the, all the coaches were like, oh man, you know, we, we're, we're sorry for that. And the, the exact moment when he said that, God stirred in my heart and I decided that I need to go and pray for that coach. But see, there, I wasn't at the doing part. I was just at the deciding part. I was at that moment where I knew that I needed to pray, but I wasn't sure how it was going to take place. I wasn't sure, you know, what was the dynamics of that. And so we went through the entire process and made all the decisions and, and, and got through it and made all the all-conference selections. And then when it was close to end, a couple guys went to the bathroom. I said, you can't go to the bathroom. I got to pray for this guy. They went to the bathroom, waited, and, and long story short, I went over to the coach and I said, hey, Eric, can I pray for your, for your wife and you, as you, you know, before we all leave? And he said, yeah, I'd love for you to do that. And so I told all the soccer coaches from across our conference, and I said, guys, we're not leaving until we pray for Eric and his wife, and I'd love for you to stay and pray with me. And every one of them bowed their heads and we prayed. And we just asked God for the anointing to fall and the healing to take place. But my point 
in doing that is saying that we can decide to do a lot of things for God, but if we're not willing to do it, okay, we're, we're just sitting on the log hoping that God's going to do something grand. And we have to come to the place that we need to make the decisions and go. The other side of the spectrum is that you made a decision to, to do something that isn't glorifying God. Can I tell you this morning that it's never too late to ask for forgiveness and get back on track where God, where God wants you to be. And so the second decision that we talk about is Jesus gives us an offer and we have to decide if we want it. See, we face two decisions here in John 10.10. 10. The first part of that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know, we know that the thief is Satan. And we know that he's out to kill and steal and destroy. We see that, we read it. He wants to steal our hearts. He wants to, 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 to take over our spirit and our soul. And the first decision that we have to come to is whether or not we're going to listen to his lies. You see, we just got done saying that decision number one is that we have to decide and then we got to go. We got to do. Well, see, now we're in the second decision and we have to trust in the Lord, which is actually the third point. But we, we have to go and, and decide if we're going to put our faith in the Lord. And so here we are. The enemy starts throwing things out at you. Well, you know what? During this moment in your life, you decided that you were going to turn this issue over to God. And you did it. But now I'm going to come back in and I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to try to distract you. Or maybe you didn't do it and God's doing and the enemy's doing the same thing. And what I'm telling you today is that the enemy is going to, to lie to you, to steal things from you, and you have to decide if you're going to listen to those lies or if you're going to listen to the victor in the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus will help you overcome those things that you're, that you're fighting with, the things that you're trying to come, overcome. Because it says in the last half of 1010, it says that I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. God says that you will have a life abundantly, that you will be beyond what is anticipated, that you will exceed your expectation, that you will live more abundantly, giving past or going past your exceeded limit, going above and beyond where God has you to be. You see, we can listen to the lies of the enemy. You can listen to him and say, you know what? You are a loser. You are unable to accomplish anything. You're going to get fired in your job. You're worse than this and this and and whatever it is that the enemy throws at you. But can I tell you today, the Bible says that when you are in him, you are alive and you can have life abundantly and isn't that worthy is that worth the fight amen hallelujah you see life that jesus offers is abundant and is filled with more than we can ever have ephesians three twenty says god is able to do more than we that than, than we can ask or think so think about that he can do more Jesus said, I have come for you. God sent his only son for you. And that's what God did for us. Jesus left the joy, the perfect world, the power of heaven, and came here and lived on this earth for you. He suffered and died for you because he loves us. And so when we remember those frogs that were deciding what to do, this is your decision time. Would you, would you think that it would be you would think that we would be the happiest people in the world. We are essential church. We have the opportunity to worship our King and our Lord. We have the opportunity to hear a message of a Bible-believing church that wants to promote our God and our King and His love. And understanding that we can, we can attend before we believe. We can understand that, that, that it's a process and that we can continue to move forward, but we can know that there are people around us that are going to encourage us and help us and encourage us in everything. 
We should be the happiest people in the world. And yet even as Christians, we listen to the lies of the world, the things that are on TV, the things that we are associated with people at work and whatnot. And we start getting into that place of doubt and depression and hopelessness. And we forget that when you have a relationship with Jesus, you can live life abundantly and that you can be able to go and accomplish anything because God is there beside you. You see, Jesus gives us an offer, but we have to decide if we want it. Decision number three in your notes, it says, are we willing to trust in Christ Jesus? Are we willing to trust? Psalms 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. David knows that these situations will arise and that there is an appropriate response to them. And that is to call upon the Lord. That is to call upon the Lord when those things are happening. It says that he is, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. Why? Because I'm calling on him. When's the last time that you called on Jesus? When's the last time that you fell before the Lord? When's the last time you walked down the street and said, God, I need you today? When's the last time you walked into your business and said, God, I need you today? When's the last time you worshiped your heavenly father and said, God, I praise you because today was awesome. I can't believe I made it through this day. I can't believe that the, 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 the beans are in the field, that the corn is already going up. Man, God, you are awesome. God, I can't believe that you gave me the wife, husband that I got. Man, I am so thankful. God, I can't believe that my kids have graduated. Hallelujah, they're out of the house. I mean, you know, we can have joy. It's not just about God taking something away, but it's God, I'm so thankful for where you are. You see, when we're under attack, we have to come before the Lord and turn to him. Allow these situations to draw you close to the Lord. Remember that Jesus is the good shepherd. He will never fail us. He is there to provide, to protect, to lead, and to love, to pick up, and to carry, and to nurture each and every one of us. See, Noah trusted that God had a plan, even though that he couldn't see it. Noah made a decision, said, yes, God, I'll, I'll get the wood, I'll get the tar, I'll get the animal, whatever, God, you just show me and I'm going to do it. And he did. Daniel trusted God when he went into the lion's den. And the three Hebrew boys trusted God when they, was, when, when they went into the fire that was seven times hotter. You see, God has a plan, but we have to trust in Jesus. And sometimes we don't always understand why we go through what we have to go through. But God's got a plan. What is it in your life that you're having a hard time trusting God for the answer? Is it the waiting? Man, it takes long sometimes. If you're going through a difficult time, you're looking for a job search, you're, maybe you're dealing with some sickness or finances that maybe aren't where they need to be or whatever, and it says, God, I, I'm waiting for you to give me an answer. And we got to wait, and it's tough to wait for that decision because we just want to jump. We just want to jump to the next thing and just, okay, God, I'm moving here, so now you just have to provide. And God says, just wait. Wait for the answer. Maybe the other thing is the doing. You've waited. God's given you the answer. God's given you the direction. God's given you the job. God's given you the resources. God's given you all the things that you need. Now all you got to do is do it, and you're sitting there going, God, I really don't want to do that. I know you're, I know isn't it great when God speaks to us? But sometimes we have, to, we have to go and do it. And sometimes that's hard. That's hard to be able to go and 
and do something that God's calling you to do. And the cool thing about that is every one of you that are sitting in a chair today has an area of influence. Every one of you. My area of influence was at the soccer coach meeting. I don't expect you guys to go do that. That was, that was me. But you guys are doing things that I, that I may not be able to do. And that's what's awesome about our faith. And that's what's awesome about connect groups. That's what's awesome about coming to church. That's what's awesome about being together. Is because when you start doing things for the Lord and you're, and you're doing, God begins to broaden your, your perspective and you begin to share your testimony. And it is incredible the things that God is doing. How did you, you would have never have known that Eric had a wife that was sick. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. But I humbly share that when you share what God's doing in your life and you're humble and you promote the king and not yourself, it is incredible. See, we have to trust in the fruit of the relationship in which we know that you are loved. The question, the decision for us is, are we willing to trust in Christ? We think we do, but do we? We say we believe, but, but do we really believe? There's a story of people that were watching a tightrope um, tight walker. Have you guys ever seen a tightrope person that walks across, you know? And everybody was, he was 50 foot up, and he had the rope, and he, he starts going across, and he's walking, you know, and he's, you know, he's showboating a little bit, you know, as he's going across, and, you know, all of these things. And then he gets the unicycle out, and he, he goes forward halfway, then he backs up, you know, and then he jumps on it. Then he gets his assistant on there, and he's doing all kinds of crazy things. He gets all done with that, and he comes down, and everybody's in awe. There was no net. You know, if he would have fallen, it would have been splat, you know, and someone would have picked up the unicycle and just went off and, you know. But he came down, and everybody was like, wow, that was awesome. You did it. So he looked at the people, and he said, hey, did you see, did you see me go across, you know? Did, what did you think? Oh, it was great. Did you... Do you think I could do it again? Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, he asked the question, well, do you think that you would like to come up with me? No. But, but you, you said that you knew I could do it. Yeah. But you don't want to go up with me? No, I don't want to go up with you. I don't want to die. Right? I mean, it was, it was the trust factor. He asked the critical question. Who wants to go on my back? And it was decision time. And what is God calling you to do today? You know that God, you've heard testimony, you've read the scripture, you've spent time with him, and what is God calling you to do? Who is God calling you to be? Who is God asking for you to step outside of the framework where you have been for such a long time that God's asking you to step out of that framework and begin to be used by him? Will you make that decision which changes your life forever? You see, good things growing doesn't always mean that they're glorifying God. Sometimes we're a good person. Sometimes we do all the right things. We give everything we have away, but it doesn't mean that we're glorifying God because our walk isn't glorifying Him. You can have a good seed growing, but if you're not allowing it to settle on good soil, you see, you can, you can begin, God's, God's planting those seeds, God's giving you opportunities, but you're living and making decisions <laughs> that are by yourself, that are making your own decisions. You're living in your own little area, and God says, hey, I'm going to plant seeds, God's going to do some great things, but you're not allowing it to settle on good soil. 
You're not giving God the opportunity to be fruitful, to grow. And so we ask the question, are we willing to trust in Christ? Decision number four says, even though we intend to do what is right, do we avoid the life that, we would, that would make it a reality? John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Even though we may intend to do what is right, do we avoid the life that would make it a reality? There are decisions that we have to make that we know that we need to make it, but if we make it, we know then that the situation that's going to take place may not be exactly what we would want. There's a story of a golfer, and I can't remember his name, but there's a story of a golfer that, that was playing in a tournament to be able to go, and if he won that tournament, he was going to be able to go to the U.S. Open. And he shot like a 62. He did a phenomenal a phenomenal game. He got into the, he qualified for the U.S. Open. And when he got, when he got done, he went to, got done with the tournament. He signed his scorecard, went home or to his hotel. And as he was there and sleeping and thinking about it, he realized that he had broken a rule. They had aerated the, the, the greens and you weren't supposed to um, push them up. You're supposed to leave everything on the green. It was, it was a foul if you did that. And so he was, as he was waiting, nobody caught him. Nobody said nothing the entire time. And he was just playing, I guess. And he felt convicted. He said, you know what? That wasn't what I was supposed to do. I broke the rules. So he went back to the, the, the tournament the next day, and he told them what he had done, and they disqualified him from the U.S. Open. See, nobody, nobody told him that he was doing anything wrong. Nobody questioned what he had done. But his integrity and the things that he believed in challenged him to go and make a difference and go back and report it. And there are things in our life that even though we may attend to do what is right, do we avoid that life that would make it a reality? See, Jesus tells us we need to remain in him and we are called to imitate Jesus and to imitate him and, and to, live on the, to live our lives as he lived his. And this is a lifeline decision. I am the vine, you are the branches. As we are rooted in him, it will provide the opportunity to cross over and to do what God's called us to do. Again, this is where the decision comes in. We can't just go through our motions as we walk with Jesus. We can't just go through the motions. You, you are given an opportunity to have a life-changing opportunity of, of step. To take that step is a life opportunity for you. And God wants you to know that as you begin to trust in him, as you begin to say, yes, I'm going to do this and follow through. And as you begin to take the understanding that when I follow him, he's going to be there in every step that I take. See, a branch itself cannot produce fruit. This branch that we're talking about in 6, in verse 6, is, is also talked about in, in verse 2 and a little bit different. They're talking about the pruning part. But God, God, God is beginning to un- help us to understand that there's decisions that we have to make. The problem is that we can't do it on our own power. Our actions are good and correct, and we attend what is right, but avoiding the, living the life that would make it a reality is destructive. Even though we may attend to do what is right, are we afraid to trust in Jesus to go where he's calling us to go? 
Decision number five is, are we willing to cut off a branch in order to grow? John 15, 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And then it continues to talk in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. It says, by the fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And then in 2 Peter 3, 9, he is, willing, he, is, he, is will, he is not willing that anyone should perish. And so what we're talking about here is that God wants us to grow good fruit. Sometimes we, we, have, to, we have to begin to step, step back and say, okay, God, what is it that I need to be able to remove? You see, in, in, in Greek, it also talks about the, this, this word about when we cut the branch, it's also talking about lifting up. And sometimes in life, we lift the things in the grapevines, they get into the dirt and they get into the soil and they start to die because there's, there's, no, there's no sun, there's no life there. And so a gardener will take that vine and he'll lift it up out of the ground and, and put it back on the fence or the trellis so that it can begin to have the nourishments of the sun. And that's what a gardener does for those new branches as they, as they continue to grow. And God is doing the same thing for you. He's wanting to support you and train you so that you can produce fruit, so that you can be loving and kind and patient, that you can continue to have self-control and to be humble. God wants to continue to use those fruits of the Spirit to, to enable you, to show you how you can be a testimony in your world, in your area of influence. And so as we begin to, to do that, God lifts us up, He disciples us, and He trains us in order that we might produce the fruit that we need. I believe that this is the single most part, single most important thing that we have is being a part of a church and then the sharing and loving relationship with other Christians is huge to our spiritual health. He instructs us in his word. God renews our minds. And then in Hebrews 12, 7 and 11, it says, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God wants you to be trained. God wants you to be encouraged. Are you willing to cut off a branch in order to grow? Are you willing to take the one thing that God's showing you to be pruned? Because to be pruned is, is difficult. It's hard. But pruning is productive. The pain of cutting accomplishes what the Father intends, and that is for us to be fruitful. Decision number six says to celebrate with joy in the midst of suffering. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. There's a, there's a, a neat thing here. We're talking about the word uh, for praying is not the word used for making requests, but rather the word for praise and worship. God is asking to turn the situation into rejoicing. Instead of asking God, begin to worship him. And then in Acts 16.25, it's just talking about Paul and Silas and how important it was for them in the midst of everything that they went through. And pastors talked about this before when they were in prison. But the, the, the concept here is that they were, they were bound and they were in prison and yet they desired worship. Why? Because they had joy. The difference between joy and happiness is sometimes simple and sometimes 
more complex. Happiness is a state of mind. Joy is a mindset. You can say that, that joy is the condition of your heart. Happiness is temporary. Joy in the Lord is consistent. Happiness is dependent on what's happening now. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. And I think it says it all. We can be joyful regardless of our circumstances. We don't have to be in there and be unhappy. We rejoice because our God and our Lord is our Savior. And so when you make that decision and you begin to do that, there are moments where it's hard and moments that it's difficult, but God is always going to be there. And you can rejoice in the midst of that. And the last point in decision number seven, we must, keep it, we must keep it before us or we will stray from glorifying God with our lives. In John 15, 8, it says, This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be, my, to be my disciples. We must keep it before we will stray away. God, God wants us to be fruitful. God wants us to be productive. Our ultimate purpose today and every day in our walk with Christ is to glorify God. And there are going to be moments in our life that we have to prune certain things away. Maybe those things are from your old self that you have not yet pruned them out and you're still doing certain things and God's showing you and developing you and discipling you. And maybe it's a friend. It's the greatest resource that God has given us is a true Christian friend that can come alongside of you and, and help you as you're doing life together. Not to bash you, not to, not to, not to make you feel bad, but to show you the, the potential that God has for you. And the Word of God begins to, begins to grow like that vine, and it begins to produce fruit. And that one man that's spoken to you, or that one woman that's spoken to you, all of a sudden, now you are the one speaking into somebody else, because God is stirring within you. We must keep it before us, or we will stray from glorifying God with our lives. It has to be a paramount priority in our life. We must keep it before us. This is a direct connection that we're talking about, the vine and the, and the branches. The branches are survived by, the, by the, the vine, and if we sever that in a bad way the, 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 and do the things that we're not supposed to do, the, the, the branch does not produce the fruit. And so as we close today, there's a beautiful thing about the gospel. There's a story that I want to share with you as we prepare to close today. There's a woman that said that she would see a vision of Jesus. And everyone in the town thought she was a little crazy. And she was like, he always comes and talks with me. So the local bishop of the local church said, let's go ahead and prove her wrong. And he walks up to her and says, hey, here's the deal, woman. The next time you see Jesus, the next time Jesus comes and visits you, ask him to tell you what the sins that I spoke from my last confession. Have him tell you what they were. He'll know it. And if he tells you, you've got it right. And, he will, and you will know, and we will know that you get visions from Jesus. So she said, okay. So a few days later, she, she's walking down the street and they see her. And they come to her, and all the townspeople gather around her. And he says, okay, what did Jesus say? He, she says, oh, I, I saw Jesus. Well, did, did, he, did he tell you what I confessed? He, and she goes, oh, yeah, he, he, he said something. 
And the lady grabbed the bishop by the hand and looked at him in the eyes. And she said these words. Jesus said, I can't remember. See, the beauty of the gospel is not only that your sins are forgiven, but they're forgotten. Isaiah says that your sins get removed as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. So you came here with what? What is it that that God is working in your life? Are we understanding that Jesus died and he rose again so that we can begin a new life tomorrow? So that we can have a new identity tomorrow? See, everything that, that we do, God is there. And God loves you. He cares for you. And when you come to him and say, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? He not only forgives you, but he forgets what you did. Because he cares for you. The enemy is going to come to you every time and say, do you remember? Do you remember what you did? Remember how bad you were? Remember what you did to your wife? Remember you did what your husband did? Remember? Remember? Jesus says, I forgive you, and I've forgotten. And so as we pray today, I want you to know that God loves you today. He cares for you. But there is a moment in life where we have to begin to allow the fruit to start to grow from our vine. And our testimony that we live today is the testimony that one person at some point will come to you and say, because of your faithfulness, because of the way you live, and I don't know all that you do, but because of your faithfulness that I see, I have this concern. I have this. Will you help me with that? Because they understand that you're not going to judge them. You're not going to portray a certain thing because they see the fruit that is growing in your life. And as a church... That is what we have to do. We're not doing it for the ego. We're not doing it to be the biggest church. We're not doing it to have the best staff and the best people and the best of the best. We do it because the gospel is so important to share so that everybody, just like when when Pastor Dan was here from India and he talked about the villages, that village I have not yet seen, that village I have not yet talked to, I tell you this morning, there are people in our community that, not, that have not yet heard the gospel message. And we have that opportunity as the fruit grows within us. As we fall down before the Lord and say, God, forgive me for the things that I've done that I may be clean today and walk forward in you to make the best decisions that I can today. And God wants to see victory in your life. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that vision of life that you give us that is vastly different than the vision of this world. Let us be the people of truth and integrity and character, God, so that we can clearly and powerfully proclaim that you are our King and our Lord. And even though the world may look at us and question things, God, they cannot take away our testimony They cannot take away the fact that we understand that you are our King and our Lord. And that we are a church of yes and a church of no. And that God, that you are bringing good things. And that our story is all about you and not about us. I pray God that today that we will walk boldly this week in the light of that reality that's on the other side. God, that, that, that reality that if people 
would just know that you are a God that forgets and forgives and loves and cares and encourages and gives hope. God, today, maybe there's one in this place that's feeling convicted. They know that their decisions that they've been making aren't what they need to be. That the fruit isn't growing and the branches need to be pruned. Today, God, I ask that you speak to them, show them those areas in their life. There's one in this place today that needs courage. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to walk with them, that you would begin to show them, that people would come alongside of them. Lord, I pray today for Eric and his wife, And for anyone, Lord Jesus, that's dealing with a sickness that is life-threatening. God, we don't know it, we don't understand it. But we know that you are the creator. And even though the enemy is here to kill, steal, and destroy, you bring life. So, Lord, bring life into that situation. Bring peace into that situation. For you are a great and mighty God. So, Lord, let us be empowered by the truth today as we leave this place so that we can become people of truth and the world will see us and take refuge in Jesus' name. If there's one in this place, God, that needs to know you for the very first time, I pray, Lord, that they would come talk to someone in the corners, come talk to the pastor, see someone, Lord. Or it's as easy as saying, Lord Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? I believe that you died on the cross. And today, God, I ask you to come into my life. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray for the graduates that are here today and all those that graduate today. Do the supernatural in their lives, God. May they not just graduate high school and then go off into this world. But God, may you protect them, watch over them. And give them, God, the fruit. May their fruit, God, grow no matter where they go. Give them a church, God, to plug into. Give them friends that love you and help them, God, when they come back to rejoice for all that you do in their life. We give you glory. We give you praise in Jesus' name.